Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you news from a whole bunch of places this week. We got Italy, Argentina, Israel, Poland, Hungary, Brazil, Romania, and of course, the United States. I'm going to start out with Italy, just noting that Silvio Berlusconi, the longtime conservative prime minister of Italy, died earlier this week. I covered his death on Tuesday's episode, a special See You in Hell celebrating his departure. Moving on to Argentina, there have been more and developing connections between the mainstream right and the far right in Argentina. This concerns statements made by possible conservative presidential candidate, a person named Patricia Bullrich, uh, who is a candidate for the conservative, sort of like the leading conservative party in Argentina, a candidate for their presidential race. She has said that if she were elected, she would work with an ultra-right party. That's how they're generally referred to in Argentina. This party is called Libertad Advanza. So, like, Liberty Advances, something like that. It's currently led by a guy named Javier Milei, who is something like a cross between a small-time Trump and a Jordan Peterson type. He's like an online influencer spokesperson who has recently landed in the Argentine legislature as an ultra-right-wing in his words, a sort of like ultra neoliberal person. Like he is a nationalist and a racist, but he also doesn't think that the government should be involved in the economy. Moving on to Israel, the Israeli government is moving ahead with controversial conservative judicial plans that landed its government in serious hot water earlier this year. Specifically, this judicial plan would allow the legislature, and potentially at this point, only the ruling conservative faction in the legislature to appoint key judicial figures. This would result in the serious erosion of, you know, the functioning of democracy in Israel, as it would put the legislature in control of partisan politics. That's actually extremely relevant for the next thing that I want to talk about, which is that the European Union is cutting a bunch of funding for Poland and Hungary. This funding is being cut from these countries due to their failure to follow through on democratization initiatives and not meeting democratic standards. A lot of the times, these standards that these countries, specifically Poland and Hungary, are accused of not meeting are judicial independence, which is precisely what it is that Israel is, you know, eroding with their current form of legislation. Moving on to Brazil, plans for a potential coup were found in the phone of a former Bolsonaro advisor. Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, is currently under a lot of investigations for his potential involvement in multiple attempted coups conducted in his country, some of them on the day of the Brazilian election, and some of them on January 8th, after he had already lost and his opponent, the current president of Brazil, Lula, was inaugurated. Specifically, this investigation relates to finding some information on the phone of a longtime Bolsonaro advisor, a guy named Mauro Cid. Cid is a former military guy who's been a longtime Bolsonaro aide and ally, a real liaison between Bolsonaro and the Brazilian military, which had always had a sort of like, you know, distant relationship with Bolsonaro. Like they weren't opposed to him, but they weren't exactly Bolsonaro supporters either. Sid was always a sort of go-between in this respect, and he was also just like a like a security analyst and aide 
and just like general gopher for Bolsonaro when it came to politics. This plan was found during the federal police's investigation of Sid's involvement in a bunch of other criminal shit that Bolsonaro has been involved in. But specifically, what they found was a draft memo, basically, that would justify the president, that is Bolsonaro, using a law that is in Brazil. It's, in, it's a normal Brazilian law that gives the president special powers when it comes to protecting the rule of law, right? And so this memo was like a thought about like, okay, well, how can we possibly use this law in order to justify Bolsonaro activating the armed forces in order to prevent Lula from being elected, or in order to prevent the election from happening at all, or in order to prevent Lula, you know, supporters from going out and protesting if Lula were to be blocked from being inaugurated. There are real parallels to things that the Donald Trump administration discussed before his, you know, final attempt at staging a coup on January 6th of 2021. Finding these planned coups on Sid's phone really deepens a lot of the serious investigations that are going on in Brazilian politics. And now that Bolsonaro is no longer hiding in the United States and is actually back in Brazil, this means that he might actually face some consequences for their finding of these documents. Moving on to Romania, Romania has added to the slate of charges that it has levied against Andrew Tate, his brother, and his other associates. Specifically, Andrew Tate, his brother, and these other men have been accused by the Romanian state of human trafficking. This relates to their having trafficked at least two women, although more women have been coming out and saying that they were trafficked by Tate and his associates. These two women claim that they were promised some sort of relationship or even marriage from Tate and his other associates, but that they were then held at Tate's mansion in Romania and forced to engage in sexual acts or to create sexual content online for Tate and his associates to profit from. In Romania, as with most countries, this is not just sexual assault, but also specifically human trafficking. Romania charged Tate and his associates with this crime several months ago, but has now amended those charges to make them more severe. Specifically, they are now charged with, quote, human trafficking in continued form, which is a more serious crime in Romanian law. Tate is now also facing more problems in the United Kingdom, legal problems specifically, as prosecutors are preparing to deal with him there because one of his victims was, like him, a UK citizen. And finally, moving on to the big, big news story on the right wing this week. That's right. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted for a federal crime. For the first time in United States history, for the first time in over 200 years, a former president has been charged with a federal crime. And in this case, Donald Trump has not just been charged with a federal crime, but rather he has been charged with 37 federal crimes. Specifically, these charges were issued in the city of Miami, where a federal court resides in Florida, and they were issued on Tuesday. Former President Trump and his attorneys attended this trial, where no photos were allowed. Also, President Trump was not handcuffed. He did not have his passport taken away from him, and essentially no restrictions on his movement were imposed at all. Prior to this trial, two of his major lawyers left Trump. They, they said, we're not going to represent you anymore, which really left him kind of high and dry when it came to legal counsel. 
In fact, one of his associates, a person who is also on the hook for these these crimes, uh, Walt Nauta, is also charged with some of these crimes, and he was completely unable to find any counsel at all. Specifically, these charges relate to Trump's fraudulent and criminal handling of secret documents that came from the time of his presidency in his home in Florida at Mar-a-Lago. 31 of these 37 federal charges come from the Espionage Act, which, yes, is the federal law that deals with actual spying. Like, you know, when a foreign government sends somebody to spy in the United States, the Espionage Act is the law that deals with this. But that's not really because federal prosecutors are accusing Trump of actually spying for a federal government. Specifically, the Espionage Act is used for actual spies who are selling documents to foreign governments, but it's also used for people who mishandle or hoard documents, and that is what Trump is accused of. Specifically, he's accused of holding these documents after he was president and also bragging about having them, which, you know, would potentially open them to being found or stolen by other forces. According to the indictment, Trump is also on tape saying that he still had classified documents. On these tapes, Trump even admits that since he didn't declassify them as president, they are still classified. Like, literally, he is quoted as saying, I could have declassified them, but I didn't. Which makes this a somewhat open-shut case for Trump's main line of defense, which is his claiming that, as president, I can declassify them just, like, in my mind, because classification comes from the executive branch, and the president is at the top of the executive branch. But this kind of really hurts his ability to defend himself in that particular way. Trump and his campaign, because remember, Donald Trump is running for president in 2024, they used this indictment to raise a massive amount of money this week. Specifically, Trump claims that they raised over $6.5 million just in one week from donations and also from people attending a benefit dinner that immediately followed his appearance in court. Um, if you need any indication about what has happened to the Republican Party, it's that. Immediately after Donald Trump was federally indicted for violating the Espionage Act, he went back home and hosted a big donor dinner to cover his legal fees. Now, it might appear as if Trump is, you know, really screwed on this one. Uh, however, I regret to inform you that he does have one ace up his sleeve. Specifically, this is the fact that the judge presiding over this case is someone that he himself appointed. This is because presidents appoint federal judges and, you know, Congress approves them. But this means that Trump literally specifically picked, or at least, you know, somebody in his administration picked the person who is going to be deciding on the merits of his case. Now, this is a jury trial, right? There will also be a jury present. But the fact that Trump himself appointed the judge that will be hearing his case is pretty alarming. But that is seemingly what he was all about when he was president, right? That was his main goal. Talk about the executive taking over the legislature. Additionally, in the wake of this indictment, there have been massive amounts of threats of violence and even civil war from Trump's supporters based on this indictment. Trump is doubling down on claiming that all of this is a ruse and that the Democrats are trying to take over the country or even calling Joe Biden a dictator. Fox News itself also said that Joe Biden is a dictator for making this indictment, which isn't how it works. You know, the, 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 the Justice Department is actually completely separate from the runnings of the White House. 
And they also themselves appointed a separate and independent, you know, operative in order to make these charges. So, you know, that's baseless, but that's not how the GOP works anymore. Finally, I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Pat Robertson, an evangelical televangelist and political figure. Robertson was born on March 22nd, 1930, Jesus Christ, very long time ago. His legal name is Marion Gordon Robertson. He was born in Virginia, the son of a segregationist Southern Democrat, United States Representative and Senator Absalom Robertson. This guy was in federal office from the 1930s up until the 1960s. Pat, who used his childhood nickname of Pat, did very well in school. He went to the extremely old Washington and Lee University and then joined the Marines for Korea. He claims that he served very honorably, but a congressman who served with him alleges that there were some falsifications of his record. Robertson married his wife, Adelia Elmer, in 1954. They remained married until his death. Robertson attended law school but failed the bar in 1955. He then went back to school for seminary after getting his calling to be a religious leader. He was ordained as a Southern Baptist minister in 1961 and then started what would become his big leading legacy, the Christian Broadcasting Network. On this network, he was the host of its long-serving program, The 700 Club, a television program that really exemplifies televangelism and was named after a quasi-fictional group of donors that kept it afloat at first, you know, the so-called 700 people who donated to it. Robertson, throughout his life, engaged in a bunch of other evangelical efforts, including founding schools and universities, missions, and stuff like that. He also ran for president in 1988 as a Republican. He was trying to get the Republican nomination, essentially trying to capture the mantle of the evangelical Republicans of the Reagan coalition. However, he lost out to Ronald Reagan's more liberal Republican GOP vice president, George H.W. Bush, in 1988, who would eventually go on to become President H.W. Bush. After this, Robertson continued to be a political operative, but, you know, as a televangelist and as a religious leader, although he left any official position in the Southern Baptist Church with his presidential run. Now, this all sounds like pretty standard evangelical behavior, but I want to get to the, the reason that Pat Robertson was such an evil man. The real thing to know about him was that he was an arch conservative. I mean, like like a like an oldie time Bible thumping conservative, as would befit, you know, the son of a segregationist senator who was an evangelical Protestant preacher. Specifically, he was known for blaming hurricanes, famines, disease, and other natural disasters on homosexuality and abortion. And that is not hyperbole. I mean that the man would literally get on television and tell people that hurricanes, famines, and disease outbreaks were the result of accepting homosexual people's existence in society. He was massively and openly opposed to feminism and gender liberation in all ways. His so-called mission programs in Africa also worked directly with dictators and a bunch of other terrible figures. You know, I'm talking like Mobutu Sese Seko of Zaire. The man was an absolute nightmare for queer rights, women's rights, and also specifically the rights of Palestinian people, because as an extremely Zionist supporter of Israel, he believed that Palestine had no reason to exist. I mean, Pat Robertson even tried to blame September 11th on the ACLU, 
apparently because of like tolerance, I guess, you know, their support of social tolerance in the United States, in addition to being a terrible, terrible political person, Robertson also got fucking rich off of being a televangelist. Uh, he was an extremely powerful political figure that used his influence to keep United States politics, and especially United States religious politics, uniquely regressive among a bunch of other Western countries. Pat Robertson died June 8th, 2023 at 93 of old age and complications from previous strokes. So Pat Robertson, we will see you in hell. All right. That was 15 minutes of fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week. <laughs>